0: When you think of Detroit, I I actually really don't enjoy it when people say that Detroit is a meat and potato city. Mm. In some respect, maybe, but but really it is such a cultured place. There's just Mm -hmm. such a wonderfully diverse scene there. And you see that in the dining scene. And I don't think people realize that.
1: This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Lindsay Green is the restaurant critic at the Detroit Free Press, and she is tasked with shining a light on one of America's most vibrant and also misunderstood food cities. It's quite the job, and Green, a native of New York City, has embraced the role to its fullest. In this episode, we talk about Detroit's many diverse neighborhoods and how the city's food scene was built by immigrants from Mexico, Greece, China, and the Middle East. I also ask her about her most recent top 10 restaurants list, and we dig into her food writing process and style. It's really great getting to know Lindsay, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Lindsay Green, welcome to This Is Taste.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. Really cool to have you on Mike. We've encountered each other at the James Beard Awards. We've chatted online, but this is the first time we're actually having this type of conversation. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really well. It's so wild to be here. I've listened for so long. Ah. It's weird to, to even be in your presence.
1: Well, th- <laughs> this is a long time coming because, first off, I obviously am from Michigan and long time listener of the show. You know I have great pride for my home state, and you are the main critic in the state. You are the dining and restaurant critic at the Detroit Free Press you're also not from Detroit. Where are you from? Let's go over that.
0: So I'm from Mount Vernon, New York. Yeah. Um, the area that I grew up in is right on the borderline of the Bronx. So I went to high school in the Bronx, um, but, you know, kind of grew up throughout Westchester and yeah
1: that, yeah, that area. What an interesting place to grow up in because you've got a little bit of upstate, you've got a little, you've obviously got Westchester that's where you're living, but then you've got the city right there. Tell me, what was food like growing up for you? Were, were there some spots that you were like made you really love food and we'll talk about your your history you haven't always worked in food media you've worked in beauty and fashion so let's talk about about your upbringing a bit
0: yeah, so I think I had a really um, traditional New York experience, you know, walking to the train station. Again, just being right on that borderline of the Bronx, I could walk to the train, take the train into, you know, into the Bronx for school. And so you'd get to the, the train station and I'd have that, you know, roll with butter for breakfast and maybe a cafe con leche. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have a bacon, egg and cheese for sure. Ketchup and pepper was, you know, the thing.
1: Oh, so it's ketchup and pepper. That's oh, the ketchup one. And pepper. Yeah, of yeah. course. Always. That's the only always. Always. <laughs> yeah. Agree fully. Continue. Yes.
0: Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that was sort of my, you know, breakfast experience. Of course, the slice after school was always the thing, just a slice of pizza. Um, yeah, I just feel like it was very... Um, very new york um and then i think like you said just being adjacent to the city we were probably about 20 minutes outside of you know manhattan um and so i think i had the real luxury of really getting to experience those um Fine dining restaurants and, and kind of specialty restaurants for celebratory occasions, you know, graduations and yeah. and birthdays and things like that. And that was a real that was a
1: real treat. Let's go there. What were some of let's go some of the, the celebratory meals and then we'll go down and maybe talk about some neighborhoods. Yeah. But what's a good celebrate? celebratory meal that you, you remember?
0: I think when I was young, I mean, when I think of graduations, maybe they weren't fine dining, but I did a lot of like City Island. We were on oh, City yeah. Island at like, I think at the time it was Tito Puente's restaurant. And so we'd all, it, I mean, everyone would kind of drive over to City Island and it, you could just tell it was graduation season. Um, and you'd have a great just Latin meal. That's one of my favorites. I think the highlight of New York for me is Caribbean cuisine, mm-hmm. which I really, really miss so much in Michigan. Um, but. Um, There was that. But then I also remember, you know, when my mom, I think it might have been like my 13th birthday. My mom took me to The View. Mm. You know, I don't think it exists anymore, right? I don't right? think
1: so. It might have closed, like, a little before the pandemic. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, like, that rotating, like, for me, yeah. and and I'm sure for her, it was just, like, that's what she saved up for. You know, to give me that sort of fine dining experience of overlooking the city. And that was really, really cool. Our 16th birthday, I think we did ABC Kitchen. Yeah. And I remember being there and seeing, like, Betsy Johnson. And, you know, I really feel like I was able to get that New York
1: experience. definitely. Now you're visiting, obviously, for the next week. and And let me ask you, have you had any Puerto Rican food right on your way back? And your first time? thing first <laughs> thing I do
0: i I got in yesterday to to Westchester at yeah, least. And yeah. the first thing my cousin got was Gatti Dad, which is our like Puerto Rican restaurant in the Bronx. Oh.
1: So what it's was that? What, what were some of the dishes that you were eating?
0: I got chicharrones uh-huh. with white rice, red beans, and
1: maduros. Just uh, the best. <laughs> I, and you, you, you can't find it in Detroit, or you can't find a good version. Of it.
0: So there's one Puerto Rican restaurant, and there's one um, Dominican restaurant, and then you know there are a couple of you know um, Cuban here and there. There's a, a Venezuelan that kind of has like you'll get the sweet plantains. Um, but we really don't have that many options and it's not it's not New York style. Yeah. You don't get the huge portions. It, it is a little bit different.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's probably a lot of reasons why Detroit doesn't have a population, but I, I got to imagine, um, you know, the route isn't quite like it's not right. a new york route i guess i'm trying to yeah what, what do you think what's your theory why no i not- think
0: 100 that's it we really have a huge i mean you know a really mm-hmm. big mexican population we've got a lot of central american and in, in um in michigan yeah. and so i think it really is just about where people landed
1: yeah it's where they landed um we'll talk about your your journalism career in food media and and you've been wow decorated I mean you've been shortlisted for a Pulitzer and and won a James beard award this year so wow <laughs> congratulations on that um, but going back a little further let's talk about your your career in in New York and beauty what were you up to before you ended up making that transition to food media?
0: Yeah, so I started out, I, you know, I studied journalism in college and what I actually always wanted to do, I I did a double major in print journalism and international studies. And so my goal was that I really wanted to work in women's magazines and I wanted to um, be the beauty director of a travel magazine. Like that was the goal. Um, And right after I graduated, I went straight into magazines. My first job was at Ebony Magazine. I'm sure people who are listening know Elaine Walter. I was her assistant. And so um, worked in the beauty and style department. And that was sort of the track that I really wanted to be on. Um, And so from Ebony, I went to where did I go? I went to uh, Glamour magazine launched a uh, Latin beauty publication called Glam Vegesa Latina. And I worked there for about two years and it was just working really closely with the beauty department. Um, and then from there went to I think I, I did a stint at People Style Watch, which I don't think exists mm-hmm. anymore. But you know, again, just was staying in that that uh, women's lifestyle space. Eventually, Teen Vogue. I was the uh, digital beauty editor there. Um, and then my husband got a job out in Chicago, and so we moved out there. And so I just decided to freelance. Obviously, the mm-hmm. the market really is in New York. Um, and so I, I freelanced for a bunch of different publications, and I really did want to bring that dream to life of being beauty director at a travel magazine and that position just didn't exist and Mm -hmm. I don't even think it exists to this day especially as kind of newsrooms are shrinking um so I started my own digital magazine that was called Beauty Atlas um and it was a really great experience I I traveled to different countries to sort of explore their beauty scene and the intention was to get more than just the products more than the spas and salons but that too Um, I really wanted to to get people's um, beauty ideals. You know, I wanted to learn about what their perceptions of beauty were.
1: Yeah. Let Um, me me jump in and ask you about South Korea, about Korea. mm. Like, that must have been—you were covering it when uh, Korea was, uh, you know— probably right at the, the, the inflection point of Definitely. pop culture. Explain how that was such a big moment um, for beauty.
0: It really was. That's a great question. I think probably when I was at um, either at Glamour or Teen Vogue, right around then, is when you really started to see a ton of Korean beauty products. And for me, I was so excited because I did have that sort of intention mm-hmm. of exploring culture. And yeah. so I was really excited to test every product. You know, I was trying every sheet mask, every sleep mask, every... Cream, every you know, all of the things. They they have such beautiful products and and really interesting wisdom. I've never gotten to Korea, which I, I would love to someday. But it really was fun, kind of seeing that that boom.
1: That must have been really a, a great story to to cover. Now, let me ask you also: How does covering beauty get you ready to be a restaurant critic? There's gotta be a there's gotta be something that you were doing all these years that kind of you know, inform the way you think about food media and food writing?
0: Yes. I'm so happy you asked that because I try to draw the correlation and I'm not sure if people really get it, but I really do feel like there is a connection. I think that there's a sensory experience um, um, in, in beauty, right? I mean, the more obvious ways are in fragrance, but even just, you know, skincare, just kind of layering on skin, it really is a, 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 yeah, just a sensory experience, and so I like to compare. You know, um, when I would write about fragrances or or have to explain different scents, it really is very similar to 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 um, sort of translating. Tasting notes, right, or like flavor profiles. It's very similar to say this fragrance has, you know, notes of Madagascar vanilla or yeah. whatever it is. Um, in the same way that you would in ice cream, you know, I'm I'm picking up notes of vanilla or cinnamon. And so I I do feel like even just that writing style being descriptive in terms of scent and and flavor. Um, I I do feel like
1: I had that purpose. I love that you you articulate this way. You know, being being married to a former beauty and fashion oh. blogger my wife and i've and, and been exposed to a lot of this and and it seems to me the comparison um is clear because like these two fields are so technical like yeah. there's a lot of really technical information yeah. when we write about food that that doesn't seem as technical because the overall goal or the the halo of food and and beauty is like eating something delicious and looking and feeling good. I mean, like it's very broad, but like when you actually do it for a job, it's like pretty technical.
0: It is. It really is. And you, you know, I think for some pieces of my job, right, there's there's dining and restaurant critics. So the piece where I um, am doing some of the dining stuff, you know, sometimes you're just handed over a press release and same thing with beauty. You're given this product and you're handed over a press release and you have to sort of filter through it and find, you know, something that the PR people didn't just write for you. Right. Right. And so you have to be descriptive and you have to think sort of outside of the box. And I think I did get that training mm-hmm. in beauty.
1: OK, Lindsay, let's go into Detroit dining. I want to like talk about the dining scene. So listeners outside might not be familiar with Detroit. We might not they might not know there are some like canonical dishes. There are some dishes that we uh, that were that started in Detroit. But I want to get one aspect of the Detroit dining scene that maybe we don't really quite understand without living there.
0: Yeah. Something that I think is there, there's there's so much. I think just like Detroit, Detroit overall is very nuanced. I think the dining scene is also very nuanced. So I think one of the things that I don't, I I don't think I realized this myself, you know, before I moved there, but um, it's such a cultured place, right? I think when you think of Detroit, I, and I actually really don't enjoy it when people say that Detroit is a meat and potato city. Mm. In some respect, maybe, but, but really it is such a cultured place. There's, you have, you know, a Huge population of, again, Mexican in in Southwest, you've got uh, Polish, you've got German, you've got um, the Middle Eastern community, obviously, in Dearborn, you've got Hamtram. You know, there's just Mm -hmm. such a wonderfully diverse scene there. And you see that in the dining scene. And I don't think people realize that. I've learned so much about Middle Eastern cuisine, just moving, you know, just moving there. I didn't have Mm -hmm. that growing up. So Detroit has taught me a lot about culture. And so I think that's maybe a little surprising. Um, The other thing is that I think we talk about Detroiters and we say that they're they're resilient and we say that they've overcome so much and they've, you know, um, they're they're sort of pioneers even when you think of just the auto industry. I think that shows in the food as well, and people don't realize that. People are really just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. They're cooking where they want, not necessarily in, you know, traditional brick brick and mortar. Uh so I think those are things maybe people don't realize.
1: Yeah. It's it's there's so many multitudes in Detroit. And to, to define it by um even one word, like meat and potatoes, is like such criminal act. I'm glad you brought that up. And you know, my dad's from the North Side of Chicago. My mom grew up on the West Side of Detroit. For years and years, I was like, Detroit food is is the best, the best. Yeah. I was always, but now my sister lives in West Bloomfield. Detroit is such an interesting food scene, and and the awards have been showered upon Detroit, rightly so. And I feel like everyone should visit. What part of the city do you live in? Do you have like a community around where you're living?
0: Yeah, so I'm in Detroit. I'm on the East Side. We are looking to move. Uh, we've been there though. The entire time that I've lived there, it's actually where my husband grew up. He grew up directly across the street from where we are, so that's no his, way. It's his hood. <laughs> oh, cool, cool,
1: cool. Friends and family all around. Exactly,
0: yeah. and there we don't have a huge food scene over there. We really do. I, they're starting to pick up in the Morningside neighborhood, mm. which is not far, and then Jefferson Chalmers is another area that's got a few. Um But yeah, there are there are pockets.
1: Yeah, I mean we could let's, we could go over some restaurants. Yeah, but another broad topic is there a cuisine that is exciting you as as a critic and journalist covering the scene is there is there a cuisine that you feel is really starting to, to take you? you're taking notice of it more now
0: definitely african I am so, and I'm really happy to see the way that it's evolved in Detroit. I think you can just put that blanket statement and say African, right? But it's like, it's a continent. Like, what does that mean? And so I'm really happy, particularly in Detroit, to see that we have um, a few different regions reflected. We've got a Burundian restaurant. We've got Ethiopian, a really great Ethiopian pop-up. We've got um, Nigerian. We've got Senegalese. You know, I I really love seeing the diaspora reflected and i think i'm seeing that in other cities too which
1: is great yeah definitely well said and i feel like um sub-saharan african restaurants in new york have gotten uh, more attention recently and and i'm, I'm glad to hear you saying detroit as well um we can talk about restaurants let's let's just go there my mom grew up in wayne on the west side and and you you write about uh, a restaurant in westland which is where i have a lot of family as well and i feel like um what's going on there? Because I feel growing up, I didn't really think of the food as being anything notable, but I was clearly missing out.
0: Well, so you're not wrong. It, it hmm. hasn't quite evolved that much. I think so. One of the restaurants that I highlighted this year in our 10 best new restaurants package is uh, Kung Fu Dumplings and Noodles. And it really is just sort of a in a strip mall. It's a casual, no frills kind of spot. Um, but it's family owned. And the mom is making, you know, hand making dumplings right at the register. An uncle is in the back, hand pulling noodles. And so it's just a really cool space that's, again, not taking itself too seriously, but serving pretty serious food. And, and they're serving, um, they're, I have this really great soup. I'm actually forgetting the name of it, but it had so many different ingredients in it that I was counting. I just mm-hmm. was like, what mm-hmm. is this? And what, there was, you know, tofu skin was in there, And you don't see that much of that in the Detroit area. So for me, it was just a wonderful discovery. But yeah, I think that's also why I wanted to highlight it because Westland doesn't get much
1: no hype. <laughs> no, definitely shout to like Westland and giving it some praise because yeah. certainly um a lot of chain restaurants there but cool that you pointed out. When you drop your 10, does it change these restaurants, you know, for the better? Do they get a lot of business?
0: They do. And I didn't realize that when I first started um we named the restaurant of the year was Sozai, which has also gotten a lot of praise. He was a finalist in the James Beard's this year. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, didn't really think about the fact that this is a smaller restaurant. It's obviously a new restaurant, um, and he got super overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. when the list came out. He got very overwhelmed, um, and thankfully, it didn't it didn't break him. But yeah, I that's something that now I do have to think about
1: um, yeah. as I'm producing. Yeah, you get like a small mom and pop, and they get in the top of the list. Yeah, and it's going out to your hundreds of thousands of readers. Yeah, how do you approach the job? How do you how do you actually find the you know, the new, the newness, the, or the oldness that needs more, uh, love. I mean, Jonathan Gold famously drove around in his pickup truck for hours. Uh, Bill Addison as well, um, uses a network of of friends and also drives around all the time. Those are two critics. I love to ask this question. How did, what's your process?
0: I definitely I definitely do the same. I think Westland, for example, that Kung Fu spot was one where I really did. I went to a I have a doctor out there. It was my dentist appointment. And I'm like, if I'm out here and I'm only going to be out here twice a year for my cleaning, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I might as well ride around. So, yeah, kind of same thing, just drove around the city and really was looking for some spots. Um, but I think to your point, you know, I think one of the advantages that I have is that I'm sort of a newcomer. And so I do have a, a kind of a fresh perspective and a curiosity that someone who maybe has been living there forever would overlook. You know, I think they're maybe just driving by the same spots and not thinking about it. Whereas for me, when I'm driving and I see something out, th- you know, out of my window, it's like, wait, what is that? Tell mm. me more about this place. So I think um, being a transplant is a little bit of an advantage because I'm I'm still curious and and wanting to learn more. There was one story that I wrote um, about an um, El Salvadoran place. And um, they've been there for 15, um, over 15 years. And I'd never seen any story about them. They'd gotten no press that I could find. Um, and so that was the first review that I did at the Free Press. And I um, got a lot of really great response to it because people, you know, that that's sort of what they shouted out. I've seen that place, but I never thought to, to you know, <laughs> to look in there. That's so,
1: so cool. So when you're taking taking this job and you're you're an outsider how do you do the research before you actually start reviewing that 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 learning curve must be quite steep how was it like did someone take you under their wing and and give you like a lesson about the geography Mm -hmm. or did you just go and let it rip and like use your instincts to lead you
0: i really just went i think i think the advantage again that i have too is that detroit has radically um Evolved, you know, in the few years that I've been there. And so I think what I was able to get guidance on were the, were the press releases or, you know, the, you know, the new openings, there were a lot of new restaurants that, um, that I was told about. And so the other, the older spots, you know, I just kind of took my time and, and, and explored those myself. Um, but, uh, but I did. So I started at the free press about a year and a half ago, but I did spend almost four years at our Detroit, mm-hmm. which is, um, the monthly magazine of of Metro Detroit yeah and one thing that I really remember when I first started was again, lots of nuance in Detroit. I realized there were words you can't say you know when you're writing and 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 you're writing about anything you don't say new Detroit. you know you don't say um, there are certain sensitivities and I think I learned that on the job i really
1: mm. learned like coded language so to speak yeah like, just, like words that maybe um you're just trying to be descriptive but potentially could offend some exactly readers. there were
0: implications of a lot of things or even photo wise you know the ruined porn there you know there's yeah. there's a lot that um i think outsiders don't realize i think now we probably know but six years ago it was still just like we're so excited that detroit is um you know it's having a renaissance it's coming back and and yeah. now we know detroit never left you know yeah. and so things like that i learned um at, at that magazine
1: yeah the parachute journalism for detroit was pretty remarkable to yeah. watch over the past like five years and and you know listen i, I like seeing press for my home state and, and where my mom grew up but listen i thought some of the some of the writing was insensitive the room porn as you mentioned was was disturbing and obviously the racial implications for some of the com- right the, the conversations were were not really addressed fully and, and it was being very superficial right right um
0: exactly and you know Oh, again, my husband is from Detroit, so I get some of that education at home. And even just being a New Yorker, there are some things that we are a little shallow about and a little <laughs> insensitive about. I've, again, I've learned so much about food, about culture, but also just about. Humanity, I
1: think, being yeah. in Detroit. Let me ask you about the Shinola Hotel. Now, I sit there. I'm sitting there. I, I'm having lunch with John Kung, one of our authors. I yeah. don't know if you know John. He's yeah. um, great book coming out in the fall. I can't yes. wait to have him on. But we are sitting there, and I'm having lunch. And, like, it felt like Brooklyn— like that whole area around the Shinola Hotel, I'm not saying it's a good thing, not saying it's a bad thing. I'd like to get your take on that whole pocket. I don't even remember the name of that area. I know it's pretty close to the football that's Downtown. Downtown, yeah. basically, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, downtown Detroit is great. I think that that's sort of obviously like any other city. That's where they started with, you know, building back up, especially when you think of building um, the food scene. They sort of started there. Yeah. Um, I definitely do get the, And I've even said this throughout Detroit. I get the Brooklyn reference. You know, I think that there are a lot of areas that are feeling Brooklyn-ish. I don't know. I think I guess what I would say is I think that um, we've moved on from downtown. I think we are we have pushed out into other neighborhoods that are a lot more exciting, at least to me right now. I think that Detroit has become, I guess, if you would think of a New York comparison, almost like a Manhattan. And it's like, okay, yeah, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna find something there. But really, what's exciting is in these in the neighborhoods. Um, I think West Village is doing some really great, great things. Actually, um, the Milwaukee Junction new center area is really where a lot of the food scene is nowadays. Mm -hmm. You've got a fine dining option. You've got multiple bars there. You've got We've got coffee shops there. Um, so I think, I guess I, I would just say I'm more excited about yeah. other areas. Any spots
1: that come to mind in that neighborhood that we should be driving to? Definitely. So
0: Freya is the fine dining res- restaurant that I referenced. They were on New York Times, what was it, um, 50 best mm. list? Yeah, right. That, that was like
1: last year they did that. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep.
0: Um, so they've gotten a lot of great, great press. Um Right next door, they have they have a neighborhood bar also. It's called Dragonfly, which is great. They sort of specialize in non-alcoholic cocktails, which cool. is pretty cool. Nice. Um we've got coffee shops. There's Milwaukee Cafe, is there, there's the gathering.
1: So Lindsay, I've read a lot and met the chefs at Saffron d'Etois. Yeah. I've not been, unfortunately. I, I'm usually more towards the West Bloomfield, a little bit north. What's going on there? Because I, I really it's on my list.
0: What Chef Omar is doing there is really special because it's tiered. I think the food is great, yes. He's serving really great sort of Moroccan-inspired food, and you can get um, really traditional cuisine there, and you can get a great, you know, I'm trying to think. He has a great lamb dish that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing. But you can also get a really great chicken sandwich. So he he does a really nice job with access, I think. Um, But he also just is an amazing human. Mm -hmm. He's one of the chefs who fed thousands of people during COVID and beyond. He's one of the people I wrote a piece um, last year that was just talking about diversity in Detroit dining or the lack the lack of, you know, I'll go into a restaurant and be the only black woman that's dining there, which is really jarring when you step outside of the restaurant and we're the majority. Right. So, um, So he was an example of someone who really intentionally built that business and really asked the neighborhood what they wanted of a restaurant before he, you know, before he even laid his roots. So he's just a a great person.
1: (laughs) So that's Saffron de Definitely check it out. It's on my list. Another place I want to talk about is New Soul Plaza. So I write about Korean food. I'm from Michigan. I've not written about Korean food in Michigan. Unfortunately, I've I've had some spots in the West Side. Tell me about this place. I'm fascinated. It's multi-dimensional, multi-purpose place.
0: It is. And maybe don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 60,000 square feet. Wow. It's a huge space. Um, and yeah, what they're doing there is really great. So they've got Daebak, which is the Korean barbecue spot, which is amazing. The food is really great. But they also have, you know, they've got three businesses in there. So there's a coffee shop in there and you can get, you know, um you know, bubble teas, and you can get goona probably some yes.
1: Korean style coffee.
0: Exactly. Yeah. There's a bakery, so you can get some baked goods, um, and then they've got a K-pop shop, yeah. which is also really that's cool. cool.
1: So like all like trading cards and posters yes. and all that stuff. Yeah,
0: all of it. So it's this really great space. They actually just opened the same family. The daughters actually opened um a corn dog spot, Korean corn dog spot in Troy.
1: Oh yeah, it's
0: called Two Hands, and that's uh that's really interesting. The
1: Korean corn dog man. Yeah, I, I love. Uh, we have it in Korea. World, the book that's coming out next year, a, a recipe for it's so corn big. ducks because it's huge there in yeah. Korea. It's massive. And
0: it's not corn, which I think is really yeah. interesting.
1: It's so true. It's <laughs> not. It's not at all. It's very different. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about um, like other neighborhoods that we should be thinking about in Detroit proper. Um, I just think this is for our listeners, just book that flight to Detroit airport. Yes. Take 48 hours and just go and eat a bunch of these great restaurants
0: definitely do it so i mentioned milwaukee junction already um another area i would say is southwest detroit so you know historically that's been an area where you can get great um not just mexican but latin american cuisine i mentioned a puerto rican restaurant a dominican restaurant those are there um one is called rincon the other one is called Asti's place um and then, but there's also, you know, I our restaurant of the year last year was Ladder Four, mm-hmm. which is a great wine bar. Yes. It really is a wine bar. I love not, that choice, Lindsay. Thank you. Love I'm that glad. choice. Um, but the food that they're serving there is amazing. It really is. I have not had a meal that I did not like there. And they're, and they're you know, I think, again, they're pushing that meat and potatoes narrative. They're serving. The chef there is doing something really cool. He made... Um, Chicken heads, And he stuffed the necks with a, a house-made sausage. You know, like weird kind of off-the-wall yeah. stuff, but it's really serious, delicious food. Um, and and there's tons of natural wines there, which is great. So that's in Southwest. Um, what's another neighborhood? Again, West Village is another one that's got some great spots. marrow which was also mm-hmm. a, a finalist for the James Beard Awards this year. They're in, in, um, they're in West Village. There's a few bars out there that are great. Um
1: this is for my sister specifically shouts to Julia she's listening <laughs> West Bloomfield up there in that neck of the woods what's anything good up there that we should be Johnny Pomodoro is going to shut out the market that I, I go to, but anything good up, up there?
0: I would say Birmingham is probably I have my hands so full in Detroit that yeah. quite honestly the suburbs I, I don't do as much um, but Birmingham I would say is pretty close and they've got I love Adachi, I don't know if you've gotten there, it's nope. in the former uh, Peabody Mansion and so it's a really beautiful space but they're serving a really great Japanese cuisine. Um, what else is in Birmingham? We They, they changed hands so I'm not, I haven't been since the latest chef but madame is a restaurant yep. at a hotel there that yeah, one was that. pretty great yep, yep, yep. um yeah i'll have to think about no
1: I, I, i'm putting on the spot okay <laughs> i'm also putting you in the spot two specific uh detroit foods i want to go over first is the coney dog yes how do you define the coney dog it has really very little to do with coney island right but it's so ubiquitous and well known for for, for detroit What what is it
0: it is so it's a hot dog layered with chili uh, mustard and onions.
1: What a combination. Like, let that sink in, listener. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's not really a combination we're seeing anywhere else in the country.
0: Yeah, and it's indulgent, that's for sure. I remember actually the first time I had it was before I moved here again with my husband, and I just remember it being such a a nostalgic treat for him. You know, it just really, when someone says this is where I'm from, they show you a (laughs) Coney.
1: I I know. The other food is is Chicago-style pizza. I said Chicago-style. That was a Freudian slip because, honestly, I think about Chicago pizza more than I think about Detroit pizza, and that is a damn shame because Detroit pizza is so, so good, but it feels narrow, but it's not. Tell me, Lindsay, how do you define Detroit-style pizza?
0: Yeah, so I actually prefer Detroit style over Chicago. That deep dish for me is just—it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so Detroit style is—it's a square pizza. It's you—you uh, you do cheese first, sauce on top, and then if you do pepperoni, they are kind of like the cups. Um, and and it is good. It is also again being a New Yorker. I do have to say, I'm still I'm still about the New York slice. Yeah. Uh, but I it is really good for me. It's comfort for me. It's kind of a treat that I'll have occasionally. But it is it's really good. And I think the history is that they used trays from um from the auto industry. Yep. It's like a pan pizza, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. And
1: it's got frico and it's got like the cheese on the on the ends. And...
0: Exactly. Yep. Do
1: you have a favorite?
0: Uh, The one that I go to the most is Grandma Bob's. It's one of the newer spots in Corktown in Detroit. Um, And I go there just because what they're doing, they're doing some cool um, takes on Detroit style. So in the summer, they do a lobster pizza. And so they have lobster on top. Um, They they crush some kettle cooked chips on there. And then they also serve with a side of drawn butter.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, that that sounds like it's working. It works. It, it it's, works. It's, it's inventive.
0: It's really good.
1: Oh, my God. I can't believe I haven't asked you. Ranch on pizza, pro or con?
0: Con. I don't like ranch, period.
1: Okay. I, I know mean, that's not a Midwestern friends, thing still. to say. <laughs> you're from New York. You're, you're forgiven. You're oh, not a local. Thank you. No, but you are, though, and <laughs> you just don't like ranch. I, I, I respect don't. it.
0: I'm not into, honestly, the anything really creamy like I don't I'm not even a Mayo yeah,
1: kind of girl I respect no it's it's definitely there's there's forks in many roads and that's one road that <laughs> that's a fork that you're choosing now uh is there food in Detroit that we maybe aren't thinking about that is like really 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 prominent and and well regarded I'm I'm sure there's many it's a tough yeah. question but what do you think
0: there's a lot I mean I I keep going back to the cultural piece of it but you know poochkies, for example yeah. you know during fat Tuesday during that that season I had not heard of that I'd not learned about that till I moved to Detroit and it's huge. I mean, we're talking lines around bakeries. Is it
1: a Polish pastry?
0: It is. It's a Polish pa- Polish pastry filled with either jelly or cream. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really delicious, but it's 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 huge. It really is hyped in Detroit. So that's one thing. Um is there anything else that I'm missing? Bumpy cake is something that people love. What's it's a, that? It's a chocolate cake, chocolate frosting, and it's literally sorry, it's literally bumpy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And it has uh, the cream in those. It's kind of hard to explain.
1: I've definitely seen this cake on the internet, yeah, like in recipes and stuff. But I, I didn't realize it was quite Detroit. But yes. um, it's my ignorance. I mean, Mexican cuisine. We you've touched on it and you've yeah. you've alluded to it, but the taquerias in in Detroit really uh, incredible what incredible population there
0: there are a ton and they're really really delicious and and there's more than just the taquerias they really have great mexican restaurants right so i've i've learned again a lot about mexican cuisine just going down to southwest and mexican town there's a ton
1: yeah. Now, do you make it outside of Detroit for your reporting? I mean, there's, you know, the west side where I'm from, but there's also uh, up north, there's northern Michigan. There's there's plenty of spots. Do you, do you make it out to report?
0: I a little bit. I haven't done the west side much. Um, I, as far, I've gone as far as um, Traverse City. I did a little bit of exploring mm-hmm. for a weekend. Um, I did, um, uh, I do Ann Arbor, which yeah. I wouldn't quite say is that far, but, no. but there is a scene there. Um, and, you know, I think what, people forget is that we're right across the the river from canada and so getting to windsor is is nice you know things were shut down for quite a bit during you know the pandemic um but i just got back last weekend. it actually was a great uh perk for us so fourth of july weekend everything was busy and you know we could get a restaurant nowhere in detroit um and so we were like hey maybe we'll just check out windsor and we got right in (laughs) no lines
1: pro tip <laughs> dine in canada on the 4th of july
0: pack your passport <laughs> and just ditch the country um and yeah, had some great barbecue out there. So that, that's kind of a nice advantage to, to Michigan. I
1: love too. it. Have you made it to Miss Kim, Jihae Kim's place in Arbor? Oh my Arbor? God,
0: yes. It's the best. She she just, another one that, again, the food is delicious, but also just another good soul. You yeah. know, she's doing really great things um, in her cooking and, and for the community.
1: Oh yeah, Jihei is just a one of one. I love her cooking. It's, it's I mean, that carrot salad, I just feel that's like so good. it's such a great, like simple dish, but she makes it just addictive and and really one of the finest Korean American chefs in uh, in our country.
0: It's true. I agree.
1: Um okay, let me ask you a little bit more about the state of Michigan. Do you miss something in the state of Michigan from that you're just not getting, you know, from from all your travels? Is there something that you that you just wished as a critic that Michigan had more of?
0: I mean, I feel like I kind of said it already, but Caribbean yeah, cuisine—I yeah. think I, I really do miss that. I wish we had more of it, and not just you know Latin American, but I would love more Jamaican. I would love more Haitian. I'd, you know, I'd yeah. love to see more of that. But again, I think that's you know that's a that's more of a, a travel issue. Yeah, you it's know? An immigration.
1: It's an yeah. issue of, of who's ending up in Detroit. The, the jobs, the the community. Exactly. Exactly are you in Michigan for good are you are you there in five years?
0: I think so. I think so. we're actually in the process of buying a house. Nice. Um,
1: congratulations thank it's great. you.
0: thank you. So yeah the hope is to stay long term. I mean I think the hope for everyone is to have multiple places so it'd be nice to you know have our roots in in Detroit and be able to maybe have a place somewhere else. but yeah, I think um, I, I love it there. I really feel like the city called me.
1: Yeah, and it's just, again, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Please subscribe to Lindsay's newsletter and the Detroit Free Press. Really essential to support local journalism, uh, particularly in food. There, there's it's a dying art, a dying job and trade. And and I talked to Bill Addison about this. I've talked to many critics about this. When the, you talk about these markets outside of New York, and really outside of New York, it's it's really hard sometimes to to monetize what you're doing, which is so essential for what we care so deeply about, which is food writing.
0: Right. It's it really is.
1: All right, on this Is taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here is a rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready?
0: I think I'm ready. Okay, okay. let's do it.
1: Your favorite Michigan only food and drink? keys. Oh, definitely. <laughs> the best dessert, hands down. Flan. Oh wow, flan. That's a great call. That's
0: yes. I think I love I love sweets, so it's hard to pick. But you, you I, yeah. picked a
1: good one. <laughs> The most underrated piece of kitchen equipment?
0: I think a grater. I use my grater for so much. Yeah. Like I use it for, you can use it for fruits. You can use it for, you know, garlic. You can use it for cheese. You can use it for so much.
1: Agree fully. The most overrated ingredient?
0: Okay, so can I say a condiment?
1: Yeah, sure. Ketchup. Oh, yeah, why?
0: I just, I think it's so unnecessary. Yeah,
1: It's, it's too sweet. It's too sweet.
0: And, yeah, I think most food can stand on its own.
1: Spoken like a true Detroit food (laughs) critic, ketchup is banned from the hot dog. Love that. All right. Most underrated ingredient? Oh,
0: um, mustard. Again, another one that you can just use for anything. It can be a marinade. You can use it on meats. You can use it as a condiment.
1: If you're in Jersey, you can put it on pizza too. Oh, that's no. the thing. I know it. Look, it, the mustard pie, definitely a thing in Jersey. Your your face says it all. Interesting. You're, yeah, interesting. Jersey. Okay. The f- <laughs> right spoken like a true New Yorker. Uh, what food most defines New York City?
0: I think the pizza. Yeah. I think it's the Fair. pizza.
1: What food most defines Detroit?
0: I think it has to be the coney. It feels cliche, but I do think it has to be the straight. Coney.
1: Straight answers. I appreciate it. Your favorite cookbook of all time?
0: Okay. So. I actually didn't grow up reading cookbooks. I really didn't. I never grew up on them. My mom didn't have them. So that one is, it's, I don't know. That's okay. That one I don't know. Do you have
1: a Do you have a recent cookbook? A favorite recent cookbook recent cookbook? Discovery? Book,
0: yes. So Ghetto Gastros, Black Power Kitchen. Yeah. I just think that book is so beautiful. It's everything I want in a cookbook. It's it's beautiful. It's great recipes. It's great storytelling. I'd love it.
1: Represents the Bronx.
0: Yes, pretty exactly. well. It's so New York. Yeah. I read that book and felt like I was home. I yeah. cried.
1: <laughs> Absolute voice, signature voice. It's a great book. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you you shouted it out. Last question: I'd Like to ask your favorite sandwich of all time.
0: Bacon, egg, and cheese. Ketchup and pepper.
1: Spoken like a true New Yorker. <laughs> Lindsay Green, thank you so much for joining This Is Taste.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: What's up, Eliza? How's it going?
2: It's good. It's it's August. We're still here. <laughs>
1: We're still here. I, that's that's really the the best way to start a conversation. We are still here.
2: Yeah, clearly my coffee is still kicking in a little bit, but, you know, I had a great food eating weekend, so I'm excited to talk about it with great. you. Great. Start
1: us off. We're, at, we're doing three things. What's your first?
2: My first thing is that I went to the Krung, Cambodia pop-up at Ensenada yesterday. Mm. tip off to when we're recording this it's it's Monday, August 1st Um, and it was so great I've been a fan of Cha's food for a while now I've eaten it several times over the years and I really feel like she just always hits it out of the park and we got to eat everything on the menu because I was with a group which is always the best pop-up situation so I can shout out a few of my favorite things and make you jealous if you want. Wait,
1: first, let's back up. What is the space that we're having the pop-up in, that you're having the pop-up in? It's
2: at Ensenada, which is Is the restaurant above the Club Black Flamingo in Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. It used to be another restaurant. I believe maybe the restaurant was also called Black Flamingo. But Ensenada is like a coastal Mexican restaurant normally, but they do host a lot of pop-ups and they had the Kronk Cambodia crew grilling out on the sidewalk, um, which was really fun. But you could bring your food inside as well, and it was, you know, right after the heat had finally broken, so a really nice just, like, everyone hanging out, yeah. eating grilled shrimp and all these other delicious things. Mm. I think my favorite things that I had, they did a sun gold tomato aguachile that was really good with striped bass and jicama kind of floating in this sun gold puree. That was really great. They did grilled prawns that were with this, like, Meyer lemon galangal toasted rice kind of... Uh, not breading, but...
1: Condiment sauce? Like...
2: They were tossed in that. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. we are grilled. Um, oh, And also, the swordfish al pastor taco, which yeah. is, I think, maybe a nod to it being at Ensenada, because that's not quite what I would typically expect at one of their pop-ups, but it was just so good. We only ordered two tacos because for four people, because we were ordering so many other yeah. things, and it was a mistake. I wish I had my own. You
1: wish you had more tacos. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, are they only doing pop-ups, or are they planning brick and mortar? What, do you, what is your assumption?
2: Um... I think for now they're only doing pop-ups. I have heard about another pop-up that I like a lot that is opening a restaurant. I will not mention it Oh, wow. Are
1: we going to break some news? No, No, I can't. I can't yet,
2: but hopefully on another episode because I'm excited. So I think that there are some moves happening in the pop-up world. But as far as I know, I think they're just doing pop-ups. You know, Krung and Hasdak Biet did the restaurant Outer Space at 99 Scott a couple years ago and then kind of quickly exited from that, and they've been doing pop-ups since then. But they're pretty regular on the pop-ups front. So if you follow them on Instagram, I think— maybe once a month if not more often there's something going on isn't
1: it the restaurant that wells gave like two stars and they like closed the next day yeah
2: wells called it the restaurant of the summer and then the next day uh, all the
1: chefs left they literally actually. all left which is an episode of the bear completely
2: yeah um if you like look up there's an article about it that he also wrote um kind of gives some insight into the situation yeah. they had with the owners of the space but yeah. it was uh quite the, the the shake up when it happened with the shake up
1: yeah but yeah. that's how that's how it rolls sometimes
2: yeah what's your first thing
1: well uh, this weekend i was able to go to the first Annual Borscht Belt Fest in Ellenville, New York, which was everything I had hoped. Um, in summary, the Borscht Bell, um, was, um, a, a time, uh, you could think of the movie Dirty Dancing, you could think of Mrs. Maisel. It's a time when, um, the Catskills was, was full of these, these resorts that many, many Jews in New York, uh, and many others, it wasn't just Jews, but mostly Jews would go to in the summertime. Um, and there was a real iconic level of comedy or style of comedy being presented at these, um, at these at these resorts, like Grossinger's is one that comes to mind. But also, there's a real food component. Like the food at the B's Borscht Belt um, resorts was iconic because it was uh, it was mostly kosher, but really it was like extremely fancy. Um, and for a time when when Jewish immigrants were maybe not being um, you know the food was not considered fancy back in New York, but up in the Borscht Belt it was put on a pedestal. Um, so in Ellenville, they're creating um, a full time permanent museum to discover this era, this very important era in the Catskills, and this was the first uh, festival slash fundraiser, and I I loved it. It was really fun. It was uh, a combination of street fair. There was a couple galleries open, and we went to a, a rising stars of comedy showcase, which was really great.
2: Did you have any borscht?
1: I didn't—they ran out when we got there. We got there a little bit late. We got there at 4 p.m., and the borscht had had run out. But there was beautiful borscht. The Brooklyn soda guys were doing, um, you know, egg creams. Um, And I, you know— I, I saw this uh saw this comic Damn Vitrano and Alejandro Morales, both really fun fun comics. It was extremely dirty and and the crowd was not maybe ready for their their style of comedy, which I loved.
2: <laughs> I'm a fan of that, I'm jealous.
1: <laughs> I am I love I love when they're like sitting down the the, the guy next to me he was in his probably eighties and he was like stone faced during his whole um this whole uh, routine, um this whole pre- presentation of a very um, blue comedy, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, very spelt though, and I loved it and i and I hope uh, they return next year, so I, I love it. What's your next thing?
2: My next thing is that. After the pop up yesterday, because I clearly had not had enough food, we walked over to McCarran Park, and they have um, all these restaurants in McCarran Park now. In the Park House, have you seen this?
1: Oh, I haven't been by, by McCarran Park um, in a-, a quite a while.
2: They have a full bar now, no so way. you can like sit at the picnic tables. I saw people just kind of taking the drinks, you know. Yeah. But what I came for is they have an Oddfellows ice cream stand inside, and nice. so I got a uh, very good pistachio ice cream. And then I walked over to the coffee bar that they have in there, which unfortunately is a Blank Street espresso.
1: torched Blank Street. Yeah, This this is my critique
2: is I don't know why they didn't bring in a local Greenpoint coffee shop to do this, but I got my shameful espresso (laughs) and then I made an affogato (laughs) with the pistachio and I'd never done pistachio with coffee before and it was obviously so amazing and I'm still thinking about it.
1: Oh my gosh, what a great combo. We're working on a pistachio piece with Alex Beggs that's going to drop in uh, later this summer. Uh, I love that combination. So DIY affogato with pistachio and and torch espresso.
2: Yeah, this has kind of been my summer of DIY affogatos. (laughs) Um, No ice cream place I've been to has been making their own coffee, but the perk of living in New York City is that there's always a coffee shop, at least a block away. So on the sidewalk, just jump over your dump over your espresso, make your
1: own affogato. Love it. What's your next thing? I have to shout out my guy Jamie Oliver. Your guy. Yeah, but but really. He has a Samsung TV channel. Do you know what these Samsung TV channels are?
2: I don't even really know what a Samsung TV is, so no. no. You're
1: You're like not TV. (laughs) I don't have a TV. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's a whole segment. I don't have a TV. But (laughs) we can go there sometime.
2: Give me like a wah-wah sound effect. Yeah,
1: Clayton, you can do it. Samsung TV is basically when you turn a Samsung it's the free programming that appears on it it's like the OTT channel and um, there's some good stuff on there like taste made as a channel there's a whole food vertical I believe there's a lot of BA content on there as well Mm -hmm. but the best part is definitely the Jamie Oliver channel which I think launched maybe earlier this year Um, I love watching old Jamie Oliver I I really I don't watch a lot of food TV because we do so much of it here and I, I have a life and you do too so I don't like to watch too much food TV, but man, that guy for the past 20 years has been on point with the way he talks about home cooking. I mean, it's really, really smart stuff, and I think kind of underrated here in the States.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I ever find out what a samsung tv is or find one i will watch this <laughs>
1: well he's got like you know jamie's had shows like shows like jamie together jamie and jamie's food fight club jamie's Superfood. he's had all these shows that typically bring in some kind of social activism or, or cause i think he's always had that at the the center of his his content for over 20 years it's not just like here's how to make something it's like let's cut down on food waste let's bring let's improve uh health in in public schools and i respect that i think um he's not unique in that in That in that framing, but he's really one of the the guys who's done it forever. So like you're watching a show and you're learning about you know how to make a bolognese, but there's definitely something else you're getting from it, which I respect.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah. What's your last thing? My last thing is a hot dog grilling technique that I witnessed. Uh, I went to a very wholesome neighborhood block party. Over the weekend, and my friend... wholesome
1: Like, was there a bounce house for four-year-olds?
2: Uh, there was a pinata for children. There was a really great DJ. It was very, like, intergenerational. Yeah. Everyone was sharing their grills, sharing their beer. My friend tipped off her, like, 75-plus-year-old neighbor to hard kombucha for the first time. <laughs> that was great. Wow. Uh, and then my friend Iris, who is the hard kombucha giver, um, grilled us some hot dogs and just kind of casually snipped the hot dog with some kitchen shears before she put it on the grill so it got kind of extra crispy. I personally am more, I care more about a crispy hot dog than a juicy hot dog. Not that it dried out too much, but I thought that was a really smart technique because it doesn't expose quite as much as when you're just having the whole hot dog, Mm -hmm. which when you do that, it's hard to fit on the bun sometimes. Maybe it does lose a lot of juice, but the snipping was a really nice way to get some more surface area and extra crisp. So I just wanted to shout that out because it it was new for me.
1: So you're snipping it in like a spiral pattern, so it's like kind of like fans out a little bit.
2: Yeah, she didn't do like, you could cut a little deeper to spiral it more she was kind of doing more of like vents almost yeah. um which just give a little bit more to work with totally uh, but there were other people that were doing more of a spiral
1: that I, I, I enjoy uh, a technique like that I think and in hot tugs dogs- kind Of fire, I, I, I mean, a hot dog is not a bad thing.
2: I've been having a lot of hot dogs this summer, especially yep. for I don't eat a ton of meat, but um, I loved it,
1: yeah. I mean, I love that. So, let's go. Uh, when once you have this perfectly cooked, snipped hot dog, what's the condiment of choice? What are you doing with it?
2: Mm, Iris had a really great local relish that yeah. we put on yeah. with a little bit of mustard, and then somebody had a a bottle of, like, Japanese barbecue sauce that was out at the cookout. And then halfway through the hot dog, I put some of that on. Shoot, oh, my God. I just wanted to go for it. And you know what? It was, like, spicy and a little sticky
1: and a great addition. Is it Japanese, like, from Japan in the bottle or a Japanese recipe homemade?
2: Mm, judging by the label, it looks like it's American-made but
1: Japanese-inspired.
2: Japanese, Japanese inspired. Honestly, I should have written down the name, but I just kind of was, and I was mid hot dog and I saw yeah. an interesting looking condiment. Yeah. I just kind of, you know, I didn't think I just went
1: for no, it. No, you just went for it. And you, you know what? You're off the clock. You weren't, you weren't food reporting. You were in trying to enjoy a wholesome block party.
2: Yeah. The best part was that this was over the weekend when it was so, so hot. And oh, then yeah. at the very end of the block party, the skies opened up torrential, torrential downpour. And everybody, including myself, just stayed. You know, everyone's houses were right there. You could have run in, but everyone just nah. stayed and got completely drenched. It's fun. Uh, it was great. I didn't have to take a shower later. It's a fun
1: New York City afternoon to get caught in a shower like that when you don't have to be anywhere. I think Umaboshi Boshi. I'm thinking Japanese barbecue sauce. Umaboshi maybe is in there.
2: Ume um, maybe. I'm just
1: like totally disp-
2: Now we're just wildly speculating. We're just
1: wildly speculating what it makes a Japanese barbecue sauce, but I'm very intrigued. It,
2: uh, yeah, I think it had uh, mirin and soy sauce okay. as the base, and then I'm not cool. really sure from there, but maybe on a future episode I will have found it and I can report yeah, back. Yeah, we could, we
1: could report back. for The grilling season doesn't end uh, at, at Labor Day.
2: No, Gotta it's say. still summer.
1: It's always summer.
2: What's your last thing?
1: I wrote down sliced plum salads. That's what I wrote down in my notes. And here's a revelation. You know what? Plums are great. Plums are not, like, bad. And I, I don't know why it took me this long to realize this, but slicing plums and, and maybe picking a different couple different types of plums. And we're not talking about, like, farmer's market plums. I, I did have some really small um, sugar plums from my market, but I also had the couple that were available at my ShopRite. I I sliced up three different types of plums. I added a little mint to it, a little bit of salt. Holy shit, it worked out.
2: Did you add any black pepper? That's my go-to plum combination.
1: I did not, and that is really, really cool.
2: Next time.
1: Black pepper to fruit salad. Let me go there. So let's go there. Is that just to add a little bit of heat and a little bit of uh, herbal nature? Like, what are you thinking?
2: Yeah, you know, I think I always am adding spice into whatever I'm making. I believe there was a recipe when I started working at— Bon Appetit in like 2017. That was a a thinly sliced plum salad with cracked black pepper. Yeah. Especially when you're grinding it in the moment and you get kind of a coarser grind on the pepper. There's a little bit of texture going on. It's amping up the fruity quality. It's a little bit of heat. And I think that if you want it to be slightly savory it does kind of nudge it in that direction without it being as intense as adding say like crushed red pepper yeah
1: totally love that i love adding goji to fruit salad so like a tangerine salad or any kind of citrus salad adding a little bit of korean finely uh ground chili pepper powder really good
2: yeah i'm a fan of that i also add a lot of urfa chili to my fruit um yep. sumac really yep.
1: it's all great yeah sumac's good good call there i think the the lemony nature of sumac is, is nice um yeah so the, the sliced plums how about that never what never never did it before
2: i'm kind of shocked that you didn't like them before but i'm happy no. that you've made it to this point because also as i've said before it's summer is not over so you have a lot <laughs> more time to eat the plums
1: well established summer is not over thanks for sharing your three things anytime